0: day, gents. Uh JT here, minus Anthony and Chris. Uh, we have decided for the rest of 2020, what a crazy year this has been, eh? Man, it has been the year of years. So we're just going to take time to spend with our family. So we decided to run our favorite episodes of this year. This one that you're about to listen to is our interview with Stephen Mansfield. Uh, Stephen is a New York Times bestselling author. He's written 20 Five or 26 books, three of those is on masculinity, Uh, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, Building Your Band of Brothers, and his latest is Men on Fire. Please check those out. Uh, What a great gift, too, to give a man a father, son, uncle, cousin for Christmas. But this, this is what you're about to hear is our interview with him. What a great man. He's a great friend of ours. And I know you're going to learn a lot about building your band of brothers, which is always something that we need to be working on and renovating. So enjoy Stephen Mansfield. This is Renovating Masculinity.
1: To become authentic, great men, we must intentionally build ourselves to be a place of safety and protection for others. Each week, JT, Anthony, and myself, Chris, will challenge you to
2: rethink old habits so you can remove thoughts that hinder you and replace them with actions that strengthen you as a man.
1: So let's get to work. A builder, a musician, and a black guy walking to a bar. So the black guy doesn't even get a freaking job? He's just a black guy? Yeah, but you gave me this script. Yeah, well, that's beside the point. Yeah. Sabotage. Here's a question. Do we, is it black or African-American? What do we call you? Uh, It just depends on how I'm feeling that day. So you'll never be right. (laughs) Oh, wow. Choose one and I'll correct you each time. So if I say Anthony the black man, you're going to say, no, no, no. That's African-American. And if I say Anthony the African-American, triple A. I've never been African, I'm black, bro. (laughs) See? There is no win in this situation. No. Nope. Uh, wow. This might be a good
3: time to say we're just going to offend a different group every week. So, anyway, as I was saying. And there's a Native American sitting here. So, why don't you just defend all of us at the same time? Yeah.
0: <laughs> don't bring up the subject that we owe you land or anything you like that. You do owe us land. That's no, all there that's is to it. No. So, how many did you think we just offended?
1: Mm, what, we're on a good guess, roll here. I mean, guess. just mention something about the border. I guess we'll be hitting 100. Wow first episode. So anyways, this podcast came
0: about because Chris, Anthony, and I are great friends. And we just decided that the relationships that we have, men need to see and they need something to model their friendships after. And we just thought the best way to do that would be have a podcast. Imagine three guys around a campfire and just talking and and solving all the world's problems. The difference is we are actually going to solve the world's problems on this podcast. That is the difference. We're not just going to say we are. We're going to do it. But let me introduce the three guys, the three personalities that you will hear from each episode. There's Chris T. Chris T. is our, if you could see him, he's chiseled. He works out about 10 hours a day. He has to to look like this. But he is our secure, stable, um, Chris is a great listener. If you need somebody to talk to that's not going to talk back much, that's Chris, and uh, he's really good at reconciling conflict. So when Anthony and I get into a conflict, you will hear Chris bringing us into reconciliation.
1: Yeah, basically he's just huge and hot. Um, yeah, he's. I'm
0: just, I'm just, just glad you- this is not, you know not videoed. <laughs> Everybody would just be looking at him constantly and not listening to anything. I'm just going to send you to your corners. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, then there's Anthony. Anthony's the inspiring. He'll inspire you to greatness. I mean, he's an encourager. He motivates people to do better, uh, and he does that in his business where he works, with his family, and with us, his friends, all the time. Me, I'm JT. I'm the direct, kind of decisive one. I'll challenge the status quo all the time. So I'm the one that stays in trouble and out on the edge, probably falling off at times, but uh, Chris saves me. So that's the three of us. We'll, we'll go into our stories in, in different podcasts and just all of our different backgrounds. We will have guests on the show, and then at times we'll just us three sit around talking about different subjects, different things that impact our daily lives, whether that's from something that happened in the news or whether that that's something that's happening in our daily life. Uh, every week we'll bring just a topic that we feel like every man or most men deal with, and we'll just talk about that subject from three different perspectives. So we're actually going to expand the way that you think, and hopefully that will cause you to take action. So we'll bring the awareness, you take the action, and then you get the accountability, which we'll talk about today, actually. So, Chris, why don't you just take
2: a couple minutes and tell, tell the people, tell the peeps who you are. Well, I am a happily married man of about eight years now. Uh, my wife and I have three kids. We have a six-year-old daughter and two twin-year-old daughters. Um, I was a drummer on the road for about 12 years or so. Um, Started in college, running around in vans, and worked my way up into some national tours and eventually got to do uh, multiple world tours with with some really great people. And uh, About three years ago, I stepped away from that and became a full-time dad. So that has been the joy and the challenges of my life as of the past few years is is growing in that. And uh, I'm excited to sit across from these, these beautiful, strong men and, uh, and really unpack some of the, the struggles I've had over the past few years and over my life in, in marriage and in fatherhood and really uh, glean from this table of wisdom. I think it's going to be fun to, to go at each other about it.
1: Good. Anthony, take a few minutes. Oh, um, proud father, committed husband. I am the husband of my bride, Christina, for 17 years. I have a 19-year-old son, so do the math. Uh, It's probably a good time to intro my book, uh, Sex Before Marriage. (laughs) I also have a a 14-year-old daughter that is actually running uh, indoor track this weekend at LSU. But my son is headed to UT, and he'll be a junior uh, next year. I used to be a rapper, so I wasn't a drummer, but I was a rapper. But I'm just your basic, ordinary guy, uh, full of passion, I think sometimes my face says Mike Tyson, but my heart really says Fresh Prince of Bel-Air.
2: Yes. (laughs) This is why you and I get along better than this JT guy over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who's Fresh Prince of Bel-Air?
0: Come on, JT. Jeez. I think that's before my time. Just made the ratings go down.
1: bro. That's about it for now.
0: Good. Well, I'm JT. I've been married for 28 years. I have a -A 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 son that's 28. You can do the math on that. Uh, Anthony and I are co-writing that book I <laughs> have five children Two of those are adopted We adopted two little girls many years ago And uh, my wife is a stay-home mom Slash, She works in the marketplace part-time uh, I've been a pastor, a coach I was a builder for a long time uh, So I have a lot of experiences in a lot of different things uh, But my passion really is coaching men I get to travel with some great guys, one you'll meet today. Traveled all over, speaking and talking, uh, encouraging men to be great. And that's my passion. So that's kind of who we are. We'll share our stories more as a podcast unfolds. Today, we're going to start with a guest. And I think that we may have peaked early by bringing this man in. (laughs) I don't know if we can outdo this, but uh, we'll certainly try. But our guest today... Stephen Mansfield. Let me just tell you a little bit about Stephen. He is the son of a US Army officer, so he grew up in Berlin the first half of his life and before they moved back to the US. He has a bachelor's degree in history and philosophy, a master's in history and public policy, and a doctorate in history and literature. Do we need to call you Dr. Stephen Mansfield? You should, they don't have to. Okay, there you go. Uh <laughs> In 2002, he gained international attention with his book, The Faith of George W. Bush, which uh, became a New York Times bestseller twice, I hear. How many books have you written total? Uh, About 25. So 25 books. Some of them are The Character and Greatness of Winston Churchill, Killing Jesus, The Faith of the American Soldier, The Faith of Barack Obama, Choosing Donald Trump, Ten Signs of Leadership Crash, Should I Keep on Going, books on Booker T. Washington, Paul Harvey, Pope Benedict, and many others. And I just found out this week that he wrote a book called The Magic of Taylor Swift. I did not. I did not. (laughs) We were at an event uh, together, and the guy introduced him and said that he had written this book, The Magic of Taylor Swift. And we just kind of looked at each other and was like, uh. Must have missed that one. I I will never live that down. (laughs) Um, Also, uh, he's done a TED Talk based on his award-winning book, The Miracle of the Kurds, uh, which is a great, great book if you uh, want to know the history of the Kurdish people. Stephen is also deeply concerned about the current state of manhood. He wrote two books to help solve this issue, uh, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men and Building Your Band of Brothers. He's also appeared on major media, Fox and CNN. He speaks all over the world, all over the globe. And he's also launched uh, the Great Man Movement, uh, which he has a weekly podcast named The Great Man podcast. So welcome to the
3: podcast, Stephen. Man, it's an honor to be here at your inaugural episode. Thank you. This is a a great thing. And congratulations, by the way. We
2: have a uh, bottle of champagne for you to crack over JT (laughs) to
3: christen the... uh, Oh, I'm always happy to do that. You can smack him in the head with it. Are you saying that I have a hard head?
1: Uh I'm just impressed he's willing to risk that reputation and Uh kind of hang out with us. (laughs) It is a risk, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. He is a risk taker.
0: So Stephen, won't you uh, tell us who is the
3: man behind the name Stephen Mansfield? Well, you're very kind, and thanks for the introduction. Um, You know, you said it well. Very international life, uh, very big events. Dad was a big war hero, high-ranking officer. Uh, My life's been a combination of pastorate and, and as you say, New York Times bestselling author, so I'm on all the news shows and talking and so on. But behind the scenes, behind the eyes, an introvert, uh, a guy with a tough relationship with his father early on. My, My father was Patton. Basically, wow. So a man you admired, a man you revered, when he walked in the door, you know, you kind of stood at attention, but not a man with whom you could be intimate and you know close. We weren't fishing buddies, uh, and so that uh, you know, not any huge dysfunctions. I can't uh, I can't point at a drug addiction or a criminal life, or you know, I don't have that kind of big dramatic story. But in terms of trying to be a Christian man, in terms of trying to be a man who is a, you know, as you say, a great man. Um lot of insecurities I think the main the main issue for me as I stepped into adulthood, stepped into college was just insecure and that came from that drill sergeant kind of undermining way of my father and i'm not i'm not hurting on him he's a good man I love him he's gone on to heaven, but um we were very close at the end of his life. but when a father just rips up a boy military style, you know he goes into the world insecure and so you know, your audience can't see me, but I'm six four. How much I weigh is none of your dang business. But <laughs> but I it's more know, than me. I always always kind of a leader image, but just agonizing insecurities in the inside. Mm. And so that's a lot of that got has been dealt with and confronted and I've had good bands of brothers around me to help me deal with all that. But that's that's kind of my story. The introvert who tried to fix himself and tried to go through life pretty much from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but needed other people to work on me from the outside in. And that, that that's what's brought me to this whole message of noble manhood. That's great, Stephen. Just
1: in current culture, I guess my question is, what is the specific state of a manhood right now
3: in masculinity? i'd say there's a combination of two things. there are a few models for men men don't know what noble manhood is if you 're not going to a church where they're talking about uh what noble manhood is, if you don't have uh, good models, haven't had a good father, good uncle, yeah. uh even good images in movies a lot a lot of guys, the best images they 've got are in movies um, but we don't have models in our culture, and number two, most men walk alone. Mm-hmm. Most men are alone. And I don't, I'm not saying they don't have guys to shoot hoops with or chuck back a beer with, but I'm saying for the most part, most men uh, don't have a, a friend Surveys show that the average guy can't name a best friend. He doesn't know who he'd call if he was in a crisis. Um, And as you guys know, the male suicide rate is rising dramatically in the Western world. And when we do the psychological postmortem, you know, we read the suicide notes and so on. Many of them are about men being alone. And some of them even say there's not a man in this world who even knows that I'm alive. Wow. So it really is about male loneliness. So if you don't have a model... And you don't have a ba- you don't have men you don't have a tribe of men around you, right. then you're going to medicate you're going to go crazy you're going to be hanging out at the pole you're going to be shoving twenties in some girl's underwear I mean you're going to be yeah. living that kind of life and we all know where that leads so that's that's what's going on in our world and 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 of course. The ultimate statement, I think, of our young generation, not to, not to dive in heavy here, but the ultimate statement is that millennial men are having a hard time even having sex with their wives because they've done the deed so much to porn that they can't even get excited by a real flesh-and-blood woman sitting there waiting on them. Now, why do I bring that up early? Because that just confirms we are walking alone. We're behind closed doors. We're at the computer. We're in front of the TV screen. That's life for us, and we're not engaging with real flesh-and-blood human beings. All of that with, combined with a lack of model leaves weak, lost, lonely, hurting men. And that's what most men are in our current culture. It's a great question, Anthony. Mm-hmm. I heard
0: a stat that said 70% of men, and this is this was an evangelical Christian men, struggle
3: somehow sexually. That's in the church. Yeah, and I think that's low. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other 30% are lying. but <laughs> <laughs> I think that's low. I was, As you know, I was senior pastor of a very large church with a lot of famous people in it. And I can tell you that every man I knew Though he may be a great Christian in other ways, when it came to manhood, it came to struggling uh, sexually. Every man had some degree of sexual dysfunction in his life. Mm. He was either just past it, or didn't didn't know that he was heading towards it, or he was in it. Mm. But he was definitely going to have that in his life. And and I think most of the men I know would say, yeah, that was me, absolutely. And again. You know, it was my mother, in my case, that took me aside and told me about sex. My father never said a word to me about it. So I stepped out in the world not even knowing the plumbing questions, much less the morality questions. Mm. Mm.
2: And what, what would you say is a, an initial approach to an antidote to kind of at least set the stage for us to move forward in
3: progressing and setting up new new ways to operate? Guys, I, I'm a big believer in the idea of culture. Culture is just what you encourage to grow, and that's why I'm excited about your podcast. What we need most is a contagious culture of noble manhood. Mm. We need to create a culture in which these things are talked about, in which this is open when you can just turn to a guy at over a burger and say how you you know how you doing sexually or he can, or he knows because of the culture you live in and that you exhibit and that you encourage that he can ask the tough questions raise raise issues you can't believe i'm t- now that i've been kind of positions and a, a men's leader you can't believe the prominent people will turn to me and ask me questions that you would expect from a 17 year old mm. but if nobody's ever told him or nobody's ever said look you can say anything to me i'm not going to be shocked and he said i'm tempted by whatever you know That's that's I'm not pointing at myself as the example, but because I work hard to create a culture of you can say anything to me anytime, let's talk, let's be men, let's be real, it's confidential. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll I'll kill for you. I'll kill J T for free, but I'll kill Mm -hmm. for you for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know. Uh and so you create that kind of culture. The young need it. Everybody needs it. And so the short answer is I think ultimately when we start to get our model of what masculinity is and we realize how far away we are from it in our generation, the next thing is to create a contagious culture of manhood. And, that's, again, that's what, that's, what, that's what you guys are doing here. Right now, everybody listening knows there's the possibility anything can be discussed. We're going to discuss it raw. We're going to get it fixed. That Most men don't have anything like that in their lives. So, if it starts with a podcast and they listen to it, you know, somewhere on an airplane, that's fine with me, but I want them to see it have it and the reality of their lives too. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple
0: times uh, my band of brothers. Yeah. Explore that a little bit more because, like you said, I don't think men have this. Yeah. You know, Anthony and I, I mean, we meet all the time. So, this podcast is just an extension of our friendship. Well, that's going to be the power of it. Sure. So, what, dig a little deeper in the whole band of brothers. Maybe
3: how to even do that. I don't think most guys even know no, they how don't. to do that. No, they don't. 100 years ago, 200 years ago, my ancestors – Uh, A tribe of men was automatic. I don't mean to use the word tribe just in a Native American context. You grew up in a big family. You had granddads and uncles and brothers and everybody else in some kind of a compound or village. Um, You knew a tribe of men. You had a great big band of extended family. You had, you know, you were just part of it. American West, you know, you had a town, you had, et cetera. Uh, All of you had that. 200 years ago, that was automatic for men. Now, um, because of the isolation of our lives, because of the independence, uh, because of a number of social factors, you've got to be intentional about pulling men around you. The average man in high school, elementary school, maybe some college, the military, friendships are automatic. They're quick. They're easy uh, because it's all built in. But you start getting married. You start having a job. You start getting you – know, pulling away from those, those friends that you haven't had contact with in a while. They call them rust friends in the psychological community. You, you, you realize suddenly you're alone. I mean, the average guy again in America can't can't name a best friend. think about yeah. that, so you got to be intentional so i the phrase that I use is you got to build your band of brothers. a man to be a good man, to be a noble man, to be a safe man has got to have a band of men around him who see who he is, who love him, and will help him to become the best he can become while he's helping them in the same way so the the language "band of brothers" comes, of course, from Shakespeare, but it's always meant to men something. Uh, it, it resonates so much because it's it's what we want. I want I don't have my my closest brother is nine years younger than me, and we love each other. But he's not he's not around. He's not in my life. I need you, JT. I need these guys. I need Chris and Anthony. Um, go live together, walk together, and, and the goal of it all, uh, besides just having a lot of fun, sacrificing a lot of animals, and have a lot of rowdiness, is that you have um, a free fire zone. Now, those who've been in the military know that usually has to do with the, you know, fire condition on a on a battlefield. But a free fire zone means that anything that can be, anything that needs to be said will be said to make us better. So I'm hanging with Anthony. I, I'm just I'm going to use him because he and I are friends. He's dropping the f bomb a whole lot. He's checking out the backside of the waitress. Um, he's having an angry phone call with his wife. One glass of wine turns into six in the course of one meal. You follow what I'm saying? You really do know Anthony. This <laughs> this is amazing. I thought we said we wouldn't get personal. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, wow. I'm, I'm using him because I know that none of that's true of him. But um, you know what normally goes on in our, in our group is some people. First of all, nobody's close enough to speak to him about all that stuff. Everybody kind of stands back because Anthony's flipping out. And then some folks who might be sort of close kind of wring their hands and go, "Gosh, I hope somebody talks to Anthony." Mm-hmm. Screw it. That's not the way a band of brothers operates. I have no problem sitting. I mean, I'm not even in his immediate band of brothers. I think you are, JT. I, I have no problem if I see him you know, over where he works. I see him often there sitting I and say, hey, man, what's going on? What's up? I see this. I see that. I'll straight up ask him because we live in a culture of noble manhood and of that free fire zone, all of us. So Abandoned Brothers is a group of guys who are doing life together, but, it, but specifically helping each other be the men they're called to be. And that comes with confrontation. It comes with having other eyes on you. It's, it comes with 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 you know. We all laugh at Hillary Clinton's book. You know, it takes a village, but it really does take a village of men to build great men. And then we could turn our attention to the young men. If we don't have that amongst ourselves at our age, how what, what are we going to initiate the young men into? Mm-hmm. Remember that great African proverb. You know, if we don't initiate the boys, they'll burn the village down just to feel its warmth. Yeah. And that's going on in our society. Look at the gangs. Look at what the young are doing. Look at the all all the craziness. So, short answer. Every man needs to have a band of brothers, and it will not happen automatically. he has got to build it intentionally. You know what's curious, too, Stephen, that where that tribe doesn't
1: exist or the band of brothers is not uh, specifically and intentionally created, there will be substitutes that just pop up. And I remember just at my age, there was a time when the older guys would be under the streetlight. And if you were a younger guy and you got a chance to go hang up under the streetlight with her, that's where you could gleam your manhood. So all the... Mistakes and misconceptions that they had about reality of manhood or femi- or females or women or marriage, all those things, they were instilled in you in the same way that you're saying in your culture right. that people that were actually practicing the proper things would be able to instill it into someone. So
3: these, these substitutes pop up where we fail to be strategic about it. Yes, that's right. And there's always an artificial version of the Band of Brothers. You can have six guys hanging out together at the strip club. They're just helping each other destroy their lives. They're just drinking heavily and mm. you know getting attracted to women who aren't their wives and spending their money ridiculously and damaging their health. Um, so that's a false version of a Band of Brothers. Nobody's getting real. Nobody's getting down to brass tacks. Nobody's making anybody better. And by the way, the Bands of Brothers that I know are having a ball, man. They're having a blast. But They'll also turn at any moment to any one of them and kind of dive into stuff and then stick with him for months while he works something through, you know, mm-hmm. things that you can find as you go on through life. So, yeah, they're always false versions of a band of brothers. Um, there's false intimacy everywhere in our lives, and many of us have bought into that. You know, Chris traveling on the road, I, I hope he was real close to all the guys he traveled with but but I know just from having pastored musicians for years that it's quite possible you can be on the road, you can be just pressing the shoulder and hanging, eating every meal with a bunch of people, and nobody ever gets real about anything. In fact, people are declining morally, and nobody's even asking the questions, even in a Christian musical traveling group context. So all that, not to pick on his world, my point is there are always false versions of the Band of Brothers around our lives. We gotta find the genuine one and build it.
0: And I know that our stories are kind of similar in a way that, you know, when I was at my darkest hour, lost all my friends, lost my business, my wife left me. You know, all of that, if it wasn't for five guys that surrounded me, I don't I don't know if I would have survived actually. But they cared enough to tell me the truth. Yeah. And to say all that you've just lost yeah. is your fault. Sure. Uh they were not too kind, but they were compassionate. Yeah,
2: by even saying strong things to me. But that's what saved me. Hmm. So I love how much you, especially Stephen, are always encouraging that ownership, because I think that's the most convicting thing to me. And things that I've, I've been always, I am constantly trying to keep in check is not sitting back and waiting on my mysterious friend group to just come around me out of nowhere whenever mm-hmm. I need something. Really trying to engage with no i want to I want to take initiative, I want to be as bold as I can be on the h- behalf of other men, but also not so much selfishly so I get it back but just in, in, to chase after it and initiate and not just wait and sit back and I presume and hope that men will just come around me and be my friends
3: and support. I yeah, I, and I think that's really good news because we know we, we don't te- we don't tend to teach the young the skills of relationship building, so they think they got to sit back and wait to be chosen. Right. And as an introvert, that was a little bit me. I expected in high school for guys just to step into my world. <laughs> they, they, you know, they weren't going to do that. They weren't. Mm. They, that's not how it works. You got to you got to step out. You got to you got to connect with them. So the good news, though. Uh, is that we can't be intentional about building a band of brothers. Every man, no matter how much he's an introvert, no matter how shy he is, no matter what his social skills, uh, he can learn the skills of, of building a band of brothers and pulling men around him and being a better man as a result. And so that, that that's encouraging to me. If I have to just sit here and wait to be chosen, I might, I'll be waiting until I'm 80. Mm. Um, but if I if I know how to build a band of brothers and build it around a, a noble purpose, now, now we're rocking. Now mm-hmm. we can make something happen. Mm-hmm.
1: That's one of the most impressive qualities that I find in a man that's that's willing to, Come and unroll his blooper reel, so to speak, in front of you, and go, "Hey, I'm dealing with this thing." Because it's one thing, Stephen, to get caught in a thing or noticed in a thing, and it's another to, to have the confidence as a man to go to someone and go, "Look, I'm struggling with this." And I find that it's it's almost non-existent right now yeah. that men have a group that they actually feel comfortable with. Going, actually, I'm not a hero. Mm. Actually, I have a blooper reel and it's rolling out of control. So, I, I really respect what you're saying over there, man, because having that initiative to go and ask for help, I mean, it sounds so simple, but having a group of guys around you that have created the air to give you that comfort to do it is important.
3: Yeah, and I think we've got to send the signal that men are meant to aspire to greatness and can achieve greatness, but still they can have flaws and, and uh, you know, Achilles' heels. Uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm a historian by training as as probably you picked up from my little mention in my bio uh, and I love talking about the great figures of history but I despise what I call the statue version of history the statue mm-hmm. version of history is everybody just fell from the womb perfect yep. well let me give me an hour let me tell you about Lincoln give me an hour let me tell you about Roosevelt give me an hour let me tell you about you know my guy's Churchill one of the greatest leaders in the in the last century, but deeply flawed. Churchill didn't want to stay in a room with a balcony on it when he was the prime minister of England because he suffered from what he called black dog depressions, and he was afraid a depression would hit, and he'd throw himself off the balcony. Wow. He was leading England at the time. Wow. So great man, yes. Depressive, yes. You wouldn't let a man with that kind of depression mow your yard, man. You don't <laughs> want a guy near your children with a lawnmower if he's depressed. You understand my point. Yeah. So so I specialize in, in my field of history is, is biography and autobiography. And and my my focus is on people accomplishing great things while, while while having that dark night of the soul. So once you understand that, once you stand there, understand that we're all that way, I can turn to you and talk to you about your eating. You can talk to me about whatever, masturbation, porn, how you doing on the road. JT is you know one of my buddies, and I he's right. I do travel a lot, and I, I get texts from him when I'm all over the world. How's the eating? How's it going? You know, are women an issue? Now let me just say straight up, I have no problem with women. No special thing. Nothing secret going on. But JT not an idiot. You know the good-looking flight attendant on the fifteen-hour flight to Asia. You know, starts shoving vodka my way. Well, maybe there. Who knows what's possible? You understand what I'm saying? Sure. And even if it's not for Stephen Mansfield, it might be for somebody else. Sure. So we we just put it on the table. We just right. talk about it. I don't. I'm not offended. JT can ask me about anything, anytime. Any any of my guys can. The guys sitting in this room can. So all I'm trying to say is, once you get that out there, once you make that clear, once you stop thinking you got to hide the negative stuff so that people will believe the positive stuff, well, then you've got to. Culture where you can talk about anything. And I, I tell you, what, I'll, I'll make a speech, and a 17 year old who's been listening to the podcast and reading some of the stuff I write will come up and just ask me a question where I go, Hey, hey, let's step aside here. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, somebody you go to school with might be within, you know, I mean, I, he's, he, now he's so open, I got to protect him. Yeah. So, um, but I believe I'm, I'm thrilled that he's gone that way rather than covering up something um, that's going to destroy him and eat him out with guilt for the rest of his life.
0: So, to end this, what, what would be one challenge, one small step for a guy who doesn't have this? What would you say, if you would just take this initial step toward that, what would that be?
3: Okay, real quick. Yeah. They do studies where they look at little girls and little boys in rooms, and, they, and the experts watch them through windows. The little girls inevitably turn the chairs towards each other, face each other and go, I like your hair. But the little boys uh, turn side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and say, Bet I can beat you to that tree. Bet we can set that door on fire. You know, whatever. <laughs> and and the, my point in, in saying this is that men don't connect by looking at each other in the eyeballs and going, how you doing today, Joe? Tell me about your emotions. You know, that just makes me want to cuss and walk away. <laughs> so – the way that the most important thing for guys who are saying I want a Band of Brothers how do I build it is that you have the indirect connection any idiot can buy, can buy a pizza and invite two, two guys over to the house and say how you guys doing uh, any idiot can have a party in his home around the Super Bowl or a football game or something anybody can grill up some burgers or bring a bag full of chicken at home or whatever have a drum circle play guitars my point is is create an indirect connection in your life so men can begin to gather and then once they gather start talking about these things most men are desperate to talk about these things. They won't think you're weird. you know. Say, I didn't have much of a father. How about you guys? How'd you learn the stuff you know about men? Just bring it up in kind of an indirect way. But the most important thing I know about men building a band of brothers, other than how it actually operates once it's functioning, is this initial step of create an indirect connection. Do not circle up 16 chairs and ask guys to start gutting themselves. That will not Happen, trust me But you can have fun You can grill something up You can put together A hunting trip You can do something And then these manhood themes Can be brought up Discussed And and, and a band of brothers Will grow out of that That's how it works mm. Well man, great Steven,
0: thank you so much For being on our first Inaugural podcast uh, For my buds Anthony and Chris What y'all think? Good? Well, yeah, I think once we edit All of you out We'll be fine <laughs> oh, be My gosh really <laughs> Good luck with that, since y'all let me talk the most. And again, I hope we didn't peak too soon. I mean, I hope this is one a one-hit wonder, having Steven on. But look, guys, uh, this just, is— Just run it every week. Just run me, it every, every, every that, time. Sure. No, that's a good you idea. You don't have that to have line. any other guests. I'm just— <laughs> That is a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I hear your voice enough. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. But guys, here's our here's our goal. We're going to keep this podcast to a drive-time 25 minutes just so that you can really listen to it on your way to work or on your way home or in just one sitting. That's our goal. Remember, this is not a safe place for the easily offended, but it is safe for those who want to break the mode of mediocrity. So that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Excuse the mess. We're just men under renovation.
2: Renovating Masculinity is hosted by Chris Terrell, Anthony Flemings, and JT McCraw. Produced and edited by John Fender, Jonas Litton, and Ben Delameter at Lasting Media. To learn more about how to rethink, remove, and replace unproductive mindsets, visit renovatingmasculinity.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Renovating Masculinity and Twitter at RenoMasculinity.